Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Sud. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Well, folks, it's been almost 80 episodes, but I finally got a crew member of the Enterprise on the show. No, not that one. No, the other one. The other one. Yep, that one. It's Michael LeBlanc! Yay! Yay! how are you man hey man i'm doing great thanks for having me oh it is my absolute pleasure uh well i teased i teased a little bit but you and i talked uh a night or two ago sort Mm. of getting to know each other before you came on and uh we talked for a good long while about star trek and our and our fandoms uh great conversation in and out of the franchise yeah yeah and uh and then you mentioned that you served in the Navy, and then you said that you saw, while you were watching the episodes of Enterprise, you saw the drawing of of the the aircraft carrier, the Enterprise, <laughs> yep. on the wall of Captain Archer's ready room, and you are like, is that the ship I served on? And I went, hang on, what? <laughs> and it took a few seconds when I was like, wait a minute, did you serve on the Enterprise? And you're like, yeah, yeah, so... Dude, I, I actually was just like, dude, lean with that. Holy crap. That's so cool. That is beyond cool, man. Uh, so let's dive in. When when did you actually, when did you join the, join the Navy? So I joined the military in August of 2001. Okay. Uh, like right out of graduation, spent a couple of months just kind of trimming down a little bit, wound, mm-hmm. up, wound up there. Uh did uh, about two years, two and a half years of training because I went in as a nuclear electronics technician. So there's a lot of training there. Wow. Um, and then uh, the rest of my time was supposed to be uh, three and a half years spent on the ship, but um, uh, I wasn't the best nuclear electronics technician. So um, <laughs> they were like, all right, you're not working out uh, four years. And they, they, uh, they cut me out. Um, so I got out August 05, um, on the last shipyard that she was in actually before she got decommed, which was Newport news. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So like for folks who don't know, can you give us, um, some general ideas of like the size and what the day-to-day activities are on the enterprise, the actual, or at least what they were on the enterprise? Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I bet you they're they're not too far away from what people are experiencing now on their own carriers, but um, the Enterprise she had a complement of near about uh, eight thousand people. So we're talking, you know, basically a small a small city just floating on water. 
Jeez. all doing all types of stuff, uh, you know, around mid decks uh, between, uh, I'd say, was it two deck, two or three decks down below the hangar bay? It was where pretty much everybody lived. I mean, there was more birthing, like, kind of above and whatnot, but most of it, it was all down there. So you had, starting there, you had your mess decks and everything. Everybody just needed to do everything. You know, people who just did laundry, people who just did uh, the the Airedales, you know, people who worked with the airplane stuff, the people who, uh, the mess deck, the people who were making your food. And everybody just pretty much lived in their own, their own environments, you know, with, with their own cliques. And there was a few, like, crossovers. Like, uh, I got a chance to play some D&D uh, while we were out to sea with uh, this one Airedale uh, who uh, he found uh, a room called the Coffin Room. That's uh, where they keep the coffins. <laughs> Turns out they have coffins on board. Uh, wow! But, holy yeah, crap! But, but uh, they did. There's no one's gonna bother you. No one's gonna try to find you down there. And so yeah. we could spend like hours down there. Did I mention I wasn't the best nuclear electronics technician? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. Um, I enjoyed the experience. Um, it was an old ship, so some people were kind of like a little iffy on operating it, like uh, because. A lot of people were trained on newer electronics and then they yeah. get on the enterprise and they're like, this is an adjustment. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, enterprise did that, is that the, the ship that served, didn't it serve in maybe not world war two? Did it serve in world war two? I don't think so. I don't think we had any okay. nukes yeah. in world war two. Okay. I thought it was, I thought it was later, but it was Vietnam. Did it serve in Vietnam? That may be it. And okay. if not, if not, I, I have the itch to just want to just stop everything in Google. But right, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that was it. Like, um, because I'm, I'm thinking, because when was Vietnam? Like, what, what year was that? Uh, late 60s. Sounds about right, because I think it got started in 68, 67. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. But the, the coffin room, I never would have, I never would have thought, like, are they shaped a particular way to conserve space or something like that? Cause I mean, well, if there's 8,000 people on the ship, I imagine they have a fairly s significant number of coffins, right? <laughs> uh, well, they had, uh, from what I remember, they had about seven or eight um, because okay. it doesn't, it doesn't have, uh, luckily like, it, like if you're in the Navy and like something happens to the point where like, there's like a, a mass problem, now, uh, like we've been entered like a serious war. So, gotcha. um, yeah, so uh, we only had one person who actually had to make use of one of those boxes. And yeah, they are shaped not like regular coffins, but they are rectangular. So, um, okay. but you would think that they would store them better, but they, they didn't. They were um, just, it, it looked like somebody had pushed them into the door and down into the hole. And so they were just kind of like, just, <laughs> just at different angles you know <laughs> like uh but yeah. uh but you could tell what they were because they had uh, a coffin drawn on them in the traditional coffin shape i'm, I'm waving my hands like people can see me okay. uh, <laughs> I do the and thing. they had a head and foot like labeled right like, so, yeah so wow. unmistakable about what they were Nice. No, that's, that's, that's wild, man. Well, uh, man, thank you so much for your service. But, uh, so not a problem. I imagine you were a Star Trek fan long before you actually served on the enterprise. Fair yeah. Mom made sure of that. <laughs> what was your, what was your first exposure to the franchise? Well, uh, born in 83, she could have started me really early on the original series. Right. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, I don't think she really realized how much she could really show me until uh the next generation came out and so that's that's what she started me with she's like 
I really like this show called Star Trek. Sit down and watch it with me. And, you know, it's, it's candy, you know, visual candy for me. I was just eating it all up and we, we loved it. It was one of my favorite times with her actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I recall as, cause I'm born in 83 as well. Uh, and next gen was very important for young Todd A. Davis, uh, especially the character of Deanna Troy. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how do we feel about this young man? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, okay. All right. I'm into this. <laughs> they make clothes that are shaped like that. My goodness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you got in uh, young as a kid. What was your experience, you know, uh, discovering the rest of the franchise? So we watch as much as we can uh, because, you know, there's no streaming or anything like that. You know, it, you, you either watch it when it comes out or you hope that you see the rerun later. Right. Um, so we're watching all that. And then I don't remember exactly when uh, I, fall, I saw my first uh, original series movie, mm. but I saw all of those as in quick succession as I could sometime in my teens. Nice. Of course, around then too, you know, Shortly after Next Generation, you know, the other shows had come out uh, that by that point, I believe it was in Deep Space Nine by the time I started uh, realizing that there were movies as well. And so nice. it was like what, whatever I could get a hold of, like go into the movie store, you know, like oh, I think yeah. it's called Hollywood Video and like finding whatever tapes I could find. Yeah. And uh, I remember watching um, the, the Voyage Home like four times. Nice. I, nice. The Voyage, it was just a great great one for me so what was your first because you mentioned we'll we'll skip enterprise we'll leave that for last but uh i'm curious to know what your thoughts were especially um coming in with tng being a tng kid and then experiencing the films and then the original series Mm -hmm. when the kelvin timeline started up what were your thoughts 2009 okay so uh (laughs) Wild ride, right? Because like I don't think any of us really expected all of the parallels that were drawn, but somehow still making it its own thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's I fanboyed over it. Like, um, in fact, with other different franchises too, who kind of do the same thing, where there's a little bit of a retcon, and either it's canon or not, you get to decide. Right. I uh, I was part of the group that was just going, "This is so cool." Yeah. This is so cool. I love their choices for Kirk. I, I like the way how all of these characters have been slightly reimagined. And then you just tie it all together with the original Spock. Yeah, dude, I was, I was hooked. I loved it. Uh, yeah. A little too lens flaresy, but that's JJ Abrams. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's yeah. his, it's his call card. I, yeah, I think so. And I, you know, in looking at that, I had an art teacher in oh, gosh, grade school who was always like, make it big, bold, and beautiful. If it doesn't fit on the page, great. Just let it just fill the page as much as you can. And I feel like that's kind of the thought process with JJ of just kind of like Star Trek is huge. Those opening titles barely fit on the screen, especially as right. it slowly zooms in. Like it starts to cut off the, the S and the K and you're like, <laughs> this is big. This is huge. Oh man. And then you, you know, you see things like, especially with the sound design, um, yeah. you know, you get a real sense of just how big that ship is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just, they did fantastic work. And I was, you know, a lot of people did complain about the lens flares, but I was like, what you're missing is they put dirt on the lens. That's true. 
and it makes it feel so real. And, and it's just like, oh man, they, I, yeah, I absolutely uh, fanboyed out. And it was just like, it was, so it was neat. an experience that was really made for the theater. Like yeah, they, yeah, they, really. they, they, you, they wanted you to just sit down and get blown away and damn, it worked. Yeah, it, worked. it really did. It really did. So, uh, so let's go back to, uh, so since, since the Kelvin timeline, we've had new Trek. What are your thoughts on uh, new Trek? And just keep giving me Trek, man. <laughs> just keep giving me Trek because, like, no matter the the different format, if it's animated, if it's live action, give me the past, the present, give me old Picard just going around and trying his best. I don't care, like, because <laughs> the universe, the the heart of it is still the same. It's got that. It's yeah. got that uh, political twang. Um, they've they've done nothing but really uh, realize how to blend action with that. Because I think like sometimes in the next generation and in the original series, it had one or the other. It was really kind of hard to blend. Yeah. But they've they've taken their time with it. People who have these love stories that they just want to tell that are, or take place in these this universe and they just just keep keep giving it to me. Yeah. I'm just gonna sit here and just eat it all up. Oh yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh to Star Trek Day. I think we're about a week or two away from it. And uh I'm actually planning on doing a, a live recording and live reactions uh, with that. We'll, we'll yeah. see how that goes. I haven't done anything like that before, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all for it. Uh, the animated stuff, Prodigy, Lower Decks, those shows are worlds apart, but they are both so great. Uh, you know, the nostalgia of, of seeing Picard do his thing again. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've said before, uh, season one, episode one of Picard, where he's sitting in that chair overlooking the vineyard under the trees petting number one on the head and then he he quotes some shakespeare i'm like you can stop you can yeah. stop right there <laughs> end the series right there it was all worth it i am satisfied yes yeah so, so for uh for picard or excuse me not picard so for enterprise mm -hmm. That came out while you were in the service. Yes. So it, you didn't you didn't get to see that uh week to week live, did you? No, no, there wasn't really a lot of uh time for uh live television for me. Uh in fact, most of my off time was spent either playing uh uh Halo LAN parties nice. or doing uh just massive amounts of homework. <laughs> I hear that. So so when did you get to experience Enterprise for the first time? Well, it's a good thing I met you. Uh, <laughs> because let me see, it was about four days ago, I believe. Um, Are you serious? I yeah, because <laughs> I had seen I'd seen bits and pieces. You can't go anywhere on the internet now without seeing clips or anything, especially if you're in that sphere. Like yeah, if, you, yeah. if you if if you have Star Trek anywhere, you're going to see bits and pieces. So I had kind of pieced together what I thought the show was and the kind of the tone and everything. Okay. And, uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of, I, I wouldn't say scared me, but it kind of weirded me out a little bit. It looked, it looked almost too different. I didn't know how it was going to fit in, but I'm glad I fell into this because I really enjoyed what I saw. Nice. Nice. So, uh, did, did your viewing of these, at least these episodes, and I imagine you maybe viewed a little bit more outside of? Yeah, a little bit more. Okay. Did Does it make you want to go back and revisit it from the pilot episode all the way through? 
Well, it does because uh, I didn't realize how much that they actually used and kind of laid the grounds for. Uh, and I'm kind of, I'm can seeing that, you know, I'm seeing the yellow brick road get put together piece by piece, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and this is, uh, it, it's kind of exciting. I mean, we're, we're, I'm seeing some parallels in between characters I already know. Um, and you know, because there's always an archetype that they have right. to fit. Yeah. So, um, but I don't think that's going to take me away from the story that they've got to tell. So I'm looking forward to after this really diving in uh, and just starting from, you know, from page one and seeing what this book has to give me. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely, we've seen enterprise has gone through so much and I'm so glad. Thank you so much for carving out the time to, to come on and talk with me about this because sure. between your experience in the Navy on the enterprise and the aesthetic of the NX-01, it's still very much built kind of like a submarine. Like there's exposed beams and like their uniforms have pockets. And this is, a, the aesthetic is very real world as opposed you, to down the road where it's just kind of like, all right, gold shirt and real shiny boots. Like, <laughs> Dude, you, you kind of, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up that uh, I'm taking a look at the, the aesthetic that they chose for the walls and the lighting and whatnot, you know, this isn't, this isn't glamor lighting. It looks like very much like they put like really close spotlights and whatnot and the walls with the piping and everything like that, you know, you can yeah. almost, you can almost, I, for me, like being on the ship as long as I was, I, I could almost smell like the lagging, the, the, the over the pipes and yeah. like, I, and I was just sitting there, I was like, they're really grabbing it. And, you're right. The uniforms, they have the pockets and everything like that. Those are the, uh, very much close to like the overalls that I wore pretty much all the time because you didn't wear the, the blue shirt, dark blue pant combo. And you definitely right. didn't wear your dress whites all the time. You were no. wearing what was utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh man, it's so great to see that it, that it's, that, that holds water, uh, pardon the pun, but it's, uh, <laughs> I like to see, uh, you know, looking at the structure of the show, you know, we've seen it go through a lot of different changes and here we are season four, we're changing again. So season one and two, very episodic, very, uh, quote unquote, freak of the week. Mm -hmm. um, what's, you know, okay. It's trips episode this time. Oh, he's got a nipple on his wrist. Okay. What's happening with the, this person? And, you know, uh, you know, Travis Mayweather goes home to see his family and then, oh, uh, Captain Archer likes to play, uh, water polo and Hey, right. there's a dog. Like, I mean, it's just kind of that stuff building up to the season two finale, the season two finale and season three being the Zindi war. And yeah. then now at the end of the Zindi war and the beginning of season four, we've got the showrunners and executive producers, uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga mm -hmm. stepping aside and Manny Cotto comes in as the showrunner. Manny Cotto's uh, prime directive. If I can <laughs> use nice, uh, nice direct terms here. Uh, his, his big thing is okay. New season. We've just come out of, uh, we've just come out of this big arc and now we're kind of at a fresh starting point. So let's see if we can tie a lot of these things to the rest of the franchise. We've yeah. done we've done a good job of, of establishing our own footing. Now let's throw a cable to the rest of the franchise and pull ourselves in and really connect. 
And I feel like this really, these three episodes kind of help solidify that a little bit, mostly with the Enterprise interacting with the Romulans and the Andorians, both right. of which after this series, we're not going to see for a while until Kirk deals with them. And then we see them a lot in, uh, in TNG so and the Andorians, this, I think this series enterprise really deals with the Andorians more than any other series has at that, at this point in time in the early thousands, right. we really hadn't explored them that much and nobody really cared until Jeffrey Combs put on some antennas. And <laughs> like, oh, okay. Good old in. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. We're into God it now. Him. <laughs> what were your initial thoughts about these episodes specifically when, all right, well, watching- I'm, I'm just glad this is these are the ones that I started off with because I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna get any Trekkie worth his uh, salt who's been around who's seen some things, give me an episode that starts off with Jeffrey Combs yeah. because I was to say because as soon as I saw him I'm like well I I've chosen the right one to watch and I was sucked in immediately because <laughs> nice. the guy knows Trek he knows his timing he knows his gravitas so to speak of course. and it really helped me uh, to 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 start me caring almost about what was going on right i didn't know the show from adam and all of a sudden i'm like yeah this bastard shot down his ship we need to we need answers (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and uh you know and we see not only i think with the because at this point jeffrey combs has appeared not only in the franchise uh quite a bit but within enterprise itself jeffrey combs is practically one of the main cast he's appeared he's appeared quite regularly i think in every season and uh, this not only furthers his story but the story of the andorian species yeah so without going too much further let's get to this week's recap brought to you in part by our patreon supporters rev j jerry antimano cosmic crit and fred and ren sims spoiler alert Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UBN Friday. On Enterprise Interplanetary Relations. I've never had relations with a member of your species. Can be very intense. You have to respond in kind, otherwise they'll take offense. You people are even uglier than I remember. Now, they're puppets of a mysterious force that pits species against species. There will be bloodshed. Archer and Hoshi spend time preparing for the arrival of Ambassador Grawl and the Tellarite delegation by practicing being blunt, complaining, and arguing. On the way to the trade summit on Babel 1, they detect a distress call from an Andorian warship under attack. Enterprise alters its course to assist and arrives to find Jeffrey Combs, Lieutenant Tallis, and 17 other survivors in escape pods. Archer goes to meet him in sickbay and an angry Jeffrey Combs claims that both the Andorian ambassadors and his ship were attacked and destroyed by a powerful Tellarite vessel. Scans of the debris indicate Tellarite weapon signatures, and recovered sensor data shows a Tellarite vessel firing. Sucks! With both delegations on board and accusations of duplicity rising between the groups, Archer considers taking the Andorians to their homeworld. At full warp, Enterprise is suddenly attacked by an Andorian ship. Great. When attempts at communicating fail, Archer demands that Jeffrey Combs intervene. He complies by explaining how to knock out its shields, but the attempt is ineffective. 
Enterprise is spared only when the attacking ship has to retreat because of a fluctuating power grid. T'Pol then notices that the Andorian and Tellarite ships have the same energy signature. The alien vessel is then tracked, and it appears to be capable of holographically disguising itself. Jeffrey Combs is unconvinced, and using Talus as a distraction, manages to escape and capture Grawl, before order is restored. However, when Archer convinces Jeffrey Combs to examine the evidence, a member of the Tellarite delegation is able to wrestle a weapon away from Talus and shoots her. Meanwhile, Trip, Reed, and Uh-oh, better get Mako! Beam aboard the ship, only to find it deserted and without life support. Although the Makos are beamed back, the transporter is damaged before Trip and Reed can be rescued. They are able to locate an oxygen supply within the ship's systems, but become stranded when the vessel warps away and make their way to an empty bridge. On Romulus, it is revealed that the ship is actually a drone, controlled by a pilot under the command of Romulan Admiral Valdor, supported by a scientist called Nigil in an attempt to prevent a regional detente. Ooh, that's interesting. And then... Give a little bit. UPN Friday. Give a little bit of your time to Enterprise. Witness Star Trek history, the beginnings of the Federation. These four species have never cooperated. As far as I know, no one's ever tried to get them together before. But to keep the Alliance together, there will be one small sacrifice. Basically, it's a duel. The death. The combatants fight with these. We're going to have to kill him. Not today. On Romulus, Valdor, Nigil, and their pilot continue to control the mysterious Marauder, cloaking it to look like Enterprise, and then using it to destroy a Rigelian vessel. Great. Despite this success, Senator Vrax chastises them for losing control of their drones since Trip and Reed are still on board. Valdor and Nigil then work to trap Trip inside a service junction as he attempts to divert power. After incapacitating him with leak radiation coolant, Valdor then orders Reed to reestablish the damaged warp matrix on the drone or see his crewmate die. Sucks! Reed complies in order to rescue Trip. Meanwhile, aboard Enterprise, T'Pol and Travis devise a surveillance grid that will require the coordinated effort of 128 ships. After seeking help from Earth and Vulcan, Archer realizes that he will need to obtain Andorian and Tellarite support as well. Archer's attempt hits a snag when Talus dies from the phaser wound sustained earlier. <laughs> a devastated Jeffrey Combs openly challenges Narg to a blood duel using Ushantor, an Andorian ice miner's tool. Realizing that a death will derail trade negotiations, Archer announces himself as the Tellarite's substitute. The duel proceeds and Archer is fortunately able to win and spares Jeffrey Combs' life after severing an antenna. With the duel completed, Jeffrey Combs promises continued Andorian support for the grid and the Tellarite's Ambassador Grawl does the same. Enterprise, as a flagship, soon relocates and re-engages the drone. Uh, that was a firefight! Reed and Trip Caught in the crossfire and unable to be transported out, narrowly escape death by ejecting themselves into open space. A mixed fleet of allied vessels then arrive, forcing Vrax and Valdor to recall the drone at warp speed to Romulan space. Archer then invites the Andorians and the Tellarites to begin their negotiations early, 
on Romulus, the drone's pilot is revealed to be an Anar, another species of the Andorian race. And then... On an all-new Star Trek Enterprise, meet a mysterious new species. Take my thoughts. Able to control deadly remote ships with their minds. And Enterprise's only defense, fight mind with mind. I'll test the unit. I can't allow it. You barely survived the last attack. Someone's tapping into the telemetric array. It's an after trouble. Shut it down. Now! Senator Vrax, fresh from the Romulan Senate, is disappointed that Valdor and Najil's drone program has failed to provoke a rift between human, Andorian, Vulcan, and Tellarite races, as they had hoped. In fact, the opposite has happened. Political discord throughout the Alpha and Beta quadrants has declined. Ooh, that's interesting. Now that a second drone vessel is ready to be launched, Valdor suggests a mission against the Enterprise in order to impress the Senate. Najil argues that the pilot requires time to recover from his previous exertions, but Valdor insists and prioritizes the mission. On Enterprise, analysis of data gathered in the previous encounter with the Romulan ship reveals that the ship is being piloted telepathically by an Andorian. Jeffrey Combs explains that the data indicates that the pilot is probably a member of the NR, a white-skinned and blind Andorian subrace. This, however, seems unlikely, since the NR are few in number, reclusive pacifists, and inhabitants of the isolated extreme northern polar region of their moon. Jeffrey Combs and Archer then beam down to contact the NR. The Anar's spokesperson, Lisan, initially declines to assist as the Anar don't want to get involved in a war. However, a young Anar named Jamel decides to help, since doing so may help locate Garib, her missing brother. Meanwhile, Doc Flox, T'Pol, and Trip work in sickbay on their own telepresence unit to help counter the drone ship. T'Pol volunteers to test it and a concerned Trip finds it increasingly difficult to balance his duties and emotions. Jamel then tests the unit with better results. Later, when the drone ships reappear and attack, she's able to contact the drone pilot, and it's indeed her long-lost brother, who was tricked into working with the Romulans. Learning the deception of his helpers, he turns the drones on each other, and both are soon destroyed. Valdor angrily kills him in retribution. With the threat resolved, the Andorians depart Enterprise and Trip requests to leave the ship to join the Columbia. Well, so part of what I'm seeing with these season four, two and three episode arcs are it's really a bummer that Enterprise didn't get a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, they had a lot that they could they definitely could have used to gear up with. I mean, the 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 presence the the presence in the way that the Romulans were working in here definitely helped like cement the way that they worked in the future, you mm -hmm. know. And okay. yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting to see um how they treated the Anar, I guess he's Anarin or yeah. the, the Anar pilot. Yeah, Anar, right? Yeah. Uh, how they treated the pilot of this drone, because at this time, like drones were just starting to really become a thing in military use. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, did you guys deal with a lot of I mean, you were an aircraft carrier. What Were there drones launched from that or is it just smaller jets or uh no nah, just fighter jets mostly um okay. and of course you know we had the the odd helicopter uh taken off here and there 
Um, drones are normally done by uh, uh, places that are either closer or bases that are really closer. I think those are normally done by Air Force, but don't quote me on that. Oh, okay. Okay, cool, cool. Well, yeah, it's and it's interesting to see, like, the toll it takes on 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 the body like yeah sit, i mean because some of these missions aren't just like okay fly over drop the thing and come home like sometimes it's, it's an extended period where you're up in the air or you know out on the mission doing the thing um uh, how long were you on the ship between uh you know, getting off for docking or something like that. I I don't know any of the terminology, <laughs> so let me just go ahead and apologize in advance. Nah, no, it's okay. So uh, when whenever we dock, uh, if we were uh, back in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could ta- I could pretty much go home every night uh, unless uh, it was time for me to do my watch standing, which basically means you know I have a I have a place that I have to go and either answer phones or look at a panel and report numbers, whatever. If I was scheduled, uh, which I think it was like once every three nights that I'd have to do that. That's not bad. It's not bad. Um, when we were overseas, though, uh, since I wasn't qualified enough, like if they use that as a badge of like standing, like how far you were into the qualifications of your particular job. Yeah. Uh, so uh, since I wasn't that far ahead, I could never like uh, get off the ship to like spend the night, but I could like do a day um, off the very places that we stayed. But so I saw a lot of time on the ship for that year and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so we see, uh, you know, sort of Archer kind of get thrust into this position where he's got to fight his friend. Uh, was uh, I imagine living on a ship in close quarters with, you said, few thousand people yeah, yeah eight thousand man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i imagine tensions you know got heavy sometimes did you did you ever see any uh any fights pop off or anything like that uh you don't see many uh many fights fights because dealing with the consequences like that when you're on the ship it's hard to get away from things yeah uh but you know words words will get slung around uh uh feelings would uh would would definitely get hurt it, it would it would always be a thing that uh if it ever got to a point where like it was an argument that couldn't be solved mm-hmm. you know some some upper up at ca- uh khakis would have to come in and be like all right in my office let's figure out what's going on and then he would probably dole out some really boring or weird form of punishment while we're out <laughs> to sea which normally included painting something that didn't need to be painted or watching something to make sure it didn't catch on fire that would never catch on fire. Of course. <laughs> I was about to say, what was the weirdest, what was the weirdest <laughs> punishment you ever heard? But uh, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, the closest thing I have to compare was my time in police Academy and it doesn't sound like it was nearly anything like what you had to deal with. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we see uh, we see some interesting stuff and in them going into some harsh territory there on the Andorian moon. Um, I mean, you spent a lot of time you spent a lot of time, uh, I imagine, below decks uh, yes. with, with, with your job on the ship. But how many exotic places did you go and have a chance to see? Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can remember this in order. Normally can. Uh, first, there's. Uh, Jabali, uh, which is uh, in the United Arab Emirates, okay. um, there's a there's a there's a town that's close to that that people know better the name of, but um, 
I can't remember right now. So uh, there's that. There was Bahrain um, after the shelling had happened. So we were basically in like a nice, comfortable base. But if you went outside that area, you would just see like devastation. Oh, Buildings wow. half broken and whatnot. And like Jeez. people are like, you're not safe. You stay in this vehicle. Go from point A to point B. You don't stop. So I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to stay where the the the, the party is so to speak i'm not leaving the walls uh (laughs) let's see we got to uh float through uh the canals uh leading uh you know above africa going down into the gulf which Mm -hmm. is exotic alone we didn't stop and get off but i was able to go up onto the flight deck and just watch everything go past you know sand as far as you could see and then you're on that water in the middle of it it's just awesome to see uh got to go to naples italy um got to go to england uh we floated past a really cool section of ireland and i mentioned that only because the water was like still like glass and then you get to see this like rocky uh wall that sloped up into these overhanging like uh uh, mounds of just green grass that just hung off of it and that was really cool uh, and you get to, and the coolest thing you see it through fog. You don't see the whole thing. It just kind of comes in and out of the mist. That oh, was really wild. That's and cool. then uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So that was nice. <laughs> I I hear they have a great TGI Fridays. <laughs> it's amazing there. You should see the concrete and the fountains. Ooh, let me tell you. <laughs> oh man, but you know, I I gotta say, in terms of uh, some of the performances here in these episodes, like. I think this is probably the height of Scott Bakula and Jeffrey Combs just chewing scenery and just they're just oozing these characters, man. Like, uh, yeah. what, what did you think about the uh, the performances throughout as, as this was an early experience with the crew of uh, the NX-01? How did you how did you feel about the performances here? Uh, I was uh, giving live commentary to the people on uh, on uh, TikTok while I was live. And, uh, and I was just sitting there and I was like, well, I can't watch the show with you. So you guys are just going to have to live with my commentary. And (laughs) I believe like halfway through it. And I'm like, I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. Thank God for Jeffrey Combs because he brought an expectation to it. I'm like, well, he, if he's going to be here, I bet everybody's going to be like bringing it as well. And they were like, I felt like I got like that perfect middle cross section of Brownie like everywhere the qualities there yeah. uh and it was just it, you know there's a lot to to process and whatnot i was kind of confused with to paul's and uh 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 the trip? captain yeah no no not trip the the captain cam Ar- uh, bacula yeah. yeah archer with yeah. to paul's and archers like at one point like halfway through it and i'm like are they supposed to be a thing because like because uh, it was that really close, like all the angles were really close, even though they had a full wide screen to get with, like all the faces were just close and they're talking quiet. And I'm like, are they a thing? But then later <laughs> on, I realized, no, it's trip. I just read into it wrong. You can't really judge a Vulcan on her face when it comes to her emotions. So just <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That, that right. is, that is t-shirt worthy, sir. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that early on in the show in season one, there is a lot of tension between Archer and T'Pol. And there's hints that the relationship might be something more romantic, uh, but that doesn't come to fruition. And uh, yeah, I, I wonder how much the 
the love triangle be- because he's best friends with Trip. Right. And uh, Trip, obviously, you know, there's the relationship there. I right. wonder how that would have played out if, you know, the episodes went in a different direction or, you know, things were explored differently in season four, or if we got a season five, you know, that might've been, uh, that might've been interesting to explore. Uh, do you have any other uh, thoughts about these episodes? Anything a little bit deeper that you saw that you want to bring? So, uh, well, like I was uh, I mentioned before, when I said about the, the angles, yeah, the, the way that some of these uh, shows were shot, I think maybe they were just uh, kind of uh, kind of a, a a telltale of when they were shot because mm-hmm. widescreen was had, had been like that much used in uh, regular broadcast television yeah. until they had, they had just started. With, yeah, uh, I think with season four. And yeah. so they were using very much like four or three uh, methods of shooting where everybody's really close. There's at one point where uh, T'Pol is um, talking. Uh, what's the there was uh, the helmsman. Can't uh, remember. Travis. Yeah, Travis I was talking with Travis where they were sitting at a table. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were they were talking strategy and whatnot, talking science. And then for some reason, somebody was just like running around the table with the camera almost made me sick because there yeah. was like because it's so close uh but you know with that and also the i mean i'm sure uh, i've in fact i've heard people have talked about before the the theme song at the beginning it was just all very a telltale time of when it was shot very yeah <laughs> um but but you know they were they were playing with uh computer graphics in a way that hadn't been done in previous uh, shows and it had been uh, it, it, it was interesting to see all that but still very much maintained for me especially through those three episodes that I was introduced a very core soul of Trek oh yeah yeah and, I think so yeah and um, I couldn't also help because I was doing research on the show on how much uh, you know shows that I've seen now uh, have still kind of used kind of like the same formula as far as story layout Oh, I'm yeah. thinking. Of, I'm thinking of uh, one show in particular, uh, uh, Orville. Um, oh which yeah. There's a lot of similarities in between the way that they started out and where they're at now. Oh, for so. sure. And I think you know, with Seth MacFarlane being a noted huge Trek fan, yes. uh, and he even gets, uh, he even gets to put his face and voice uh, on the record as being part of the NXO one. Yeah. Uh, and you know, to see where the Orville went, um, you know at the time that it was uh that it premiered yeah. and where it has where it started to where it is now like you said is uh, quite a quite a journey and yeah. it's it's pretty awesome to see because they kind of while they're paying homage they are clearly doing their own thing and right. it's it has been interesting the aesthetic in terms of when they are shooting these episodes, you can tell, okay, the camera works a little bit different here. And I kind of, I'm kind of kicking myself that I over, over the course of the episode have not explored the cinematographers and the different techniques. So it's been interesting to see where, uh, you know, they're slowly working in this new format of, shooting digitally and in Mm -hmm. widescreen and you know with the change up of cinematographers like i said i'm kind of kicking myself that i didn't focus on the cinematography a little (laughs) bit more uh i've been focusing on other people and speaking of those other people let's get to the section that we lovingly titled who do we blame 
for Babel One, Babel One was written by Mike Sussman, uh, whose last writing was season four, episode nine, the Kirshara, and Andre Bormanis, uh, season whose last work was season four, episode eight, Awakening. And both of those episodes we discussed with Wes from Twin City Trekkies on episode 74. Uh, Babel One was directed by David Strayton, whose last episode directing was season four, episode 10, Daedalus, which we discussed with executive producer Kat Davis on episode 75, my lovely wife. Uh, Then uh, in terms of guest stars, we've got Brian Thompson as Admiral Valdor, uh, whose first film credit was a little film in 1984 called The Terminator. Directed by James Cameron, uh, not a bad way to to start off your uh, to start off your career. Uh, he plays Punk in Terminator. It's one of the first people uh, Arnold kills when he gets uh, to the present day of 1984. Uh, we discussed the Terminator on a recent episode of Cinema Shock. So for folks who are interested, uh, that was the beginning of our James Cameron series covering James Cameron's entire filmography. Uh, so I'll put a link nice. to that in the notes if uh, if you feel so inclined. Do you have a favorite James Cameron film? <laughs> uh, well, um, the the first one that came to mind, the one that I knew that I was watching James Cameron because, I mean, his name was all over it, was uh, Avatar. I thought it was an absolutely uh, amazing film. And then, like, I at once I realized who he was, then I started watching other things, realizing, okay, this is who James Cameron was. This is what he did. Okay. But um the things that he did with avatar it was my first introduction into 3d like when i'm Ooh. sitting there and like ash was falling from the sky at one point there was a piece that fell in front of me so it was my first time 3d first time knowing who james cameron was in general like actually uh-huh. paying attention uh-huh. so it's the first one that comes to mind nice yeah i saw that they are re-releasing it in uh in a higher even an even better looking version it's <laughs> like oh my you god you can feel the characters now it's amazing I, yeah i was gonna say is the navi is the navi gonna reach out and slap me <laughs> like, is that gonna happen <laughs> uh but yeah uh with brian thompson's resume uh 1986 would actually bring two more film appearances for him cobra starring sliced alone and three amigos starring steve martin chevy chase and martin short uh he would then go on to do five episodes each of falcon crest and werewolf and then he would make an appearance in alien nation 1988 as trent porter and then he would go on and have his first appearance in the franchise uh, which was an episode of next gen it was season two episode eight matter of honor from 1989 where he played clag yeah yeah that's a that's a decent episode i think he goes toe-to-toe with Riker. yeah taken yeah and then we've got lee ehrenberg who plays the tellerite ambassador grawl whose first credit was a film called cross my heart from 1987 he's a parking attendant (laughs) Uh, but that was written and directed by armian bernstein and starring once again, Martin Short. So this might be the Martin Short connection nice. episode. Nice. Uh, and Annette O'Toole and aristocrat Paul Reiser. Uh, Love Paul Reiser. Have you ever seen the documentary The Aristocrats? I have not. Are, are you a stand-up, a stand-up comedy fan at all? Yes, I am. Okay. Do yourself a favor mm-hmm. and seek out. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's a documentary from 2005 uh, directed by Paul Provenza. And I think executive produced by uh, Penn Jillette. Okay. And, and it's a documentary about the dirtiest joke ever told. 
and that it, sounds worth it. It is. It is yes. amazing. And and again, it's a documentary, but it's so it's so dirty that it didn't get a rated R. It didn't even get an unrated sense. It, uh, you know, rating. The card at the end of the film reads, "This film is protected by the First Amendment of the United States." <laughs> yes, that, yeah. There's no nudity. There's no violence. But just the things that are being said in this documentary earned it a compl- completely unreal. Like the, the power NBA of language, was, man. Yeah. yeah. And Love that. It is wonderful. And Paul Reiser is actually one of the folks that appears yes. in the in the uh in the documentary. And he does a he does a great uh a great version of the aristocrats joke. I it's really it's really fun to see. Uh anyway, uh Lee Ehrenberg, his first TV credits were uh two episodes of Perfect Strangers from 1987. I think that was a Family Matters spinoff, but I adored that show. I really loved that show growing up as a kid. <laughs> and then uh, he would have a few more film and TV appearances until The Wizard in 1989. He plays the Armageddon Registar, uh, The Wizard, starring Fred Savage and oh, yeah. Super Mario. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like that brought it, that, that just unlocked a whole like core memory i didn't even know i had man yeah yeah it's so it's it's one of those films that you probably forgot about but you probably saw it on tv or on usa or something like that and yeah that 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 brings back some memories for sure for sure uh he would also go on and do episodes of tales of the crypt uh night court and roseanne and then he would get his first franchise appearance was which was an episode of deep space nine season one episode 10 the nagus from 1993 where he played Grawl, uh which was directed by david livingston and speaking of david livingston he is the director of the very next episode united uh the last episode he directed was season four episode nine the cure shara uh, the story for this one was done by Manny Cotto, whose last writing was season four, episodes one and two, uh, Stormfront, which we discussed with Cinema Shock's film historian Justin Bishop on episode 70. The teleplay was done by Garfield Reeves Stevens and Judith Reeves Stevens, the husband and wife writing team. Their last work was season four, episode 11, Observer Effect. Uh, we discussed that episode with comedian Patrick Cunningham last week on episode 76. Then in the guest stars, we've got Gino Silva as Senator Vrax. Uh, Gino had an interesting career. I, uh, I've pared it down a little bit here, but he was born in January 20, 1948 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His first credit was Thomasine and Bushrod from 1974, where he played Taffy. And then he would go on to 1941 in 1979 directed by steven spielberg uh starring john belushi dan Aykroyd, and treat williams uh, we've, oh. got, we've mentioned a lot of saturday night live along right this, this episode <laughs> uh then he would go on to do another little film called scarface and i think i've heard of that one yeah i think so <laughs> uh directed by brian de palma starring al pacino michelle pfeiffer and the word <laughs> Uh, which is used 207 times in that movie, if anyone's keeping count. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's the power impressive. of language, he says again. Yes. <laughs> uh, he would also go on to do episodes of A-Team, Hunter, Miami Vice, and MacGyver. 
And then 11 episodes of Days of Our Lives in 1991, he would go back to Mr. Spielberg and do The Lost World, Jurassic Park, 1997. Uh, He played a few characters in David Lynch's infamous Mulholland Drive. Uh, And then this was his first only and last franchise appearance. Uh, He retired after his last credit in 2007. And then uh, May 9th, 2020, at the age of 72, he would pass away at his home in Los Angeles from complications from frontotemporal degeneration. I didn't get a chance to... uh, to look into that and see exactly you what can that imagine. is. But yeah, you can kind of imagine. Yeah. Uh, he is survived by his wife, Pam, and their child. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, uh, Gino, uh, Gino Silva, for your work in the franchise. Godspeed. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. And then uh, last episode here, the Anar. We got a story by Manny Cotto, a teleplay by Andre Bormanis. And it is directed by Mike Vahar, whose last episode was season four, episode 11, Observer Effect. Uh, guest stars, we've got Alexandra Leiden as Jamel. Uh, she did a few TV spots right off the bat and then got five episodes of 24 under her belt in 2004, uh, playing the character Jane Sand- mm-hmm. Saunders. Uh, the next year uh, would be this, her only franchise appearance so far, but uh, a lot of procedurals after that. Uh, until she would get top billing in Mockingbird in 2014 as Beth. It's a found footage, direct-to-video horror film written and directed by Brian Bertino. I'm not as familiar with that. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Mockingbird? I have not. Uh, yeah. Found found footage uh, kind of fell off my radar after uh, the Blair Witch. Yeah. You know, because everything yeah. else would just held a candle up to that. And so I was like, eh. Yeah, exactly. I, there's, I mean, there's folks uh, that really dig the found footage. One of my, co- one of my co-hosts from Cinema Shock, Gary Horn, is a big found footage fan. And hey, look, different strokes for different folks. But indeed, uh, yeah, that's that's not for me. And then uh, rounding out the guest stars, but we can't get away without talking about Commander Shran himself, Mr. Jeffrey Combs, uh, whose last appearance, yes, yes, absolutely, his last appearance was season four, episode nine, Kir Shara. Uh, this is actually the last appearance of Shran in a regular episode for quite a while. We've got a few more appearances by him, but this is the last one in a regular, in a regular episode. I won't, I won't spoil anything for anybody else, but needless to say, after this, it starts to get a little weird. (laughs) I I love a good cliffhanger on a who's to blame segment. That's, that's good. You know, give you, give you something to come back to guys. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, uh, Michael, as we ask every week, is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and watching Star Trek for the first time and they come to these three episodes, they come to this three episode arc. And is 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 this something that is essential to the overall narrative or is it essential in any other aspect that's explored within these three episodes? Is this essential viewing? Well, the only thing that I could think that it would make it essential viewing is if this happens to be like, say this is their first time watching it, right? Uh, and they come in and then they see these Romulan fellas just being uh, just just being the, the jackholes that they are, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And treating other races like they're they're uh they're animals that they're not sentient you know they're not important they're just the means to an end right then maybe but i uh, yeah if someone who has seen all the episodes up till this one 
uh, probably relatively recently. Uh, is this the first time that they see the Romulans on the show? Uh, we've seen a ship, a Romulan ship before, mm-hmm. but I don't, I think, uh, I think this is, or you know what? This isn't, but we see them once before, but it was in sort of a time loop thing. So okay. it doesn't, it doesn't count. <laughs> sure. The, the temporal wars. I was reading up on that. Right. 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 So then, you know, if, if, if that's not the case, then I would say uh, not necessarily, because let's be honest, the Romulans get uh, even a better deep dive and a, and a more interesting profile and say, uh, I say later, but you know, earlier shows. Right. Um, so this is a, it's a good skirmish. I mean, it's a great story and it's a good chance to see Jeffrey Combs do what he does uh, on screen. But I wouldn't necessarily say this is something that you have to see in order to know about the rest of the history or what's to come. Yeah, I th- yeah, I'm right there with you. I think in terms of the overall narrative, I think it's uh, you could take it or leave it. Uh, you know, knowing that uh, humans, Vulcans, Tellarites, and Andorians found the Federation, which yeah. you know kind of kicks off the rest of the franchise. This is kind of important because you know we're establishing those diplomatic relations right here, right now. Right. Um, so in terms of that, yes. How important is it to see that? Uh, this is kind of right. up for debate. Uh, I, I like if, if Jeffrey Combs is one of your favorite actors or if commander Shran is one of your favorite characters, I think this is an absolute must see because he has established himself in his relationship with Archer over the past three seasons that this is this is a crucial point in their relationship um you know the stuff going on between trip and to paul has kind of been bubbling for a while uh that's kind of inconsequential in the grand scheme of things uh so is this is this essential to the overall narrative i'll say kind of but uh (laughs) If if you're a fan of the prosthetic work that we've seen and that we've come to really respect throughout the franchise and you dig the Andorian species, I think this is a must see. We see yeah. we, we see a lot of great stuff here. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think I have to say no. Yeah, the but- the Andorians uh, just recently got on my radar with uh, they, they had more show in Discovery with uh yes uh with a lot of the slave trade and whatnot that was happening and i was sitting there it's like these people look familiar and then like the more that i'm watching back i'm like they've kind of been in the background you know like uh uh what was it uh there was that uh uh d12 song where the guy's going like superman video i was in the back yeah they were in the back (laughs) a lot of times so yeah you're absolutely right i think uh you know uh, with Strange New Worlds, I don't know how much you've gone into Strange. That's New my Worlds. next big. That's my next big view. With, now that uh, it's finished, without well. uh, without spoiling too much, uh, we do see an Anar uh, quite uh, prominently uh, featured in the series uh, nice. for a good long while. Uh, uh, gotta love, gotta love Hemmer. That's all I'll say. Gotta okay, love, gotta love right. Hemmer. Uh, but anyways, uh, any final thoughts about these episodes, the season as a whole, the franchise as a whole, uh, your experience on this podcast? What are your final thoughts? Well, uh, first off, uh, as far as podcasts go, I haven't been on many, 
but this has definitely been the most uh, put together one. So congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're that. welcome. You, you keep the, the 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 love you have for not only what you're doing, but the subject matter itself is is wildly evident. Oh, um, you're welcome. And as far as the show goes, I mean. I'm I'm behind on a couple of different uh, Trek things. Uh, like I said, I haven't started Strange New Worlds yet, but that's uh, that's next. We just uh, recently got my Paramount actually working. Uh, the Xbox app has like a frame rate of a toaster, um, and <laughs> but the app on the the Vizio TV is working wonderfully. So uh, all of the things on Paramount that I've been wanting to watch but actually enjoy now is my time. Nice. Yeah, so you know, I'll be I'll be uh, revisiting uh, this, and uh, I've already read up on some of the stories. But I, like I said before, all of this, all of this trek that is coming out, and the love for it. I mean, we're obviously in an age where nerdy things have have come into a better, brighter light, and uh, no longer are we sitting at the lunch table, staring at our Star Trek lunchbox, and being called a nerd. You know, yeah, it, yeah. If it, if anything that, that somebody's coming up, he's like, "Oh man, cool lunchbox." Now, what's your favorite? Sh-? You know, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, I I I love the fact that I get to see this kind of trek. I get to see the Orville, uh, uh, which is amazing trek in itself. Uh, people ask me, "It's like, what do you think of the Orville?" It's good trek. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it really and is. <laughs> uh, I just. Some people would say that they're trying to get all of the money out of it that they can. I just think that there's been so many stories that haven't been able to see the light of day that now that they have money, they're like, look, this is what we wanted to do. Yeah. Now you can all share. And boy, if if that wasn't what I thought the whole experience of Trek was, is sharing and bringing people together, then what the heck are we doing here? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think. You know, I've always said uh, on this show and on Cinema Shock, you know, science fiction, one of the main things of really great science fiction is it holds a mirror up to society and Mm. shows us where we are and hopefully delivers a cautionary tale of things that we've encountered in the past that we don't maybe necessarily have to encounter again in the future if we play our cards right. And I think I think Trek is following suit, especially in some of those early episodes of Strange New Worlds, we get a couple of glimpses at where humanity is. A lot of times, especially in um, especially in the original series and a little bit in the TNG era, they point back to World War II or they point back to Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Now we're pointing back to things that happened not so long ago. Or things that are still happening and the conversation has evolved. It has changed and is continuing to evolve and change. And it's comforting to see that while the look and the technique of Trek may have changed at its core, we are still discussing these issues. We are still, we are still trying to reach our hand out to the other side and say, Hey, I'm trying to understand, please try to understand me. And, you know, I have said before, if we ever hope of reaching the stars, we have to reach sideways first because, because no, nobody gets there alone. Yeah. We have to go together. If we don't go together, nobody's going to get there. <laughs> and um, we're in an era too, where, you know, the idea of a universal translator just for earth is becoming, I feel closer as, you know, technology yeah. is going. I mean, 
it's it's not so hard now just to take your phone spit a language out and get something that's possibly poorly translated on the other side but at least you can get the the idea and i mean that alone is a is, is a good step now if we can just you know get people who speak the same language to <laughs> to, to yeah. be nice to each other sometimes, but oh, you know. yeah, that, that would be very beneficial. Uh, right. well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we uh, open invitation, come back anytime and nerd out with us here on the show. Well, folks nice. next week, we will be joined by artist Dwayne Ballinger for the beginning of the end of our sporadic miniseries titled Seth MacFarlane's Cavalcade of Cameos with Enterprise Season 4, Episodes 15 and 16, Affliction and Divergence, which of course are available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Michael, what do you have going on that people can follow? You have an interesting presence on social media. It's called uh, Sitting With You. Am yeah. Getting that right? So... Let's break it's, this down. Uh, it's my me, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me all about sitting with you and all right. what it is and uh, where people can find it. All right, let me give you a quick breakdown of what sitting with you was. It used to just be called sitting with Michael, and it was me in front of the camera after taking long hikes and letting my brain just stew on whatever problems I have and then trying to be philosophical in front of the camera. Uh, It was like a vlog thing that I had on Facebook for the longest time. Nice. Um, And, you know, it was, it was, it was a way for me to process my feelings about like loss and whatnot. Cause I just recently like uh, lost my mom right before then. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was a processing thing for me. And, I really enjoyed the process of doing that. I really enjoyed reaching out. And um, a friend of mine, friend of yours, uh, Ryan Bray, suggested that uh, if I was going to do anything further, that I needed a name that I could spread across all of social media. And so we we tested a few things. He's like, well, and I was like, well, what about just sitting with you? I mean, I'm already saying it in most of my vlogs. I, I open my videos with like, hello, everybody. Michael LeBlanc here, sitting with you wherever you are. And we just both like had that goosebumps chill moment. We're like, now that could work. So it became that it became, uh, I was putting out YouTube videos that were like 15 minutes long. Um, and then somebody came along and was like, Hey, you're better when you do short form videos. Cause I would use like one minute advertisements of my videos. Yeah. And so they're like, try TikTok." And of course everybody was trying TikTok. We were having the pandemic of that. Uh, well still is, but you know, it started then. Right. And (laughs) so I was like, all right, I got time on my hands. And so sitting with you started a TikTok. sitting with you, uh, it changed its name on everywhere. Uh, I finally just started using Twitter for the way that Twitter is supposed to be used. I didn't know how to use it for the longest time. <laughs> and so anywhere where you can find short form videos that are, are easily digested, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram and TikTok, they've all got, you know, I, I have a, an account on all those now. And so I share either funny stuff, sarcastic stuff, uh, a little absurd stuff sometimes because absurdity, you know, captures the mind and the imagination. Mm. But then every once in a while, I just sit down and go, hey, I know things might suck, but if you don't let that suck out of your chest, then it's just going to keep bogging it down. So I just try to be real with people. Um, on my Discord, I got a whole bunch of people who just want to talk and just like, like you know, I, I hate to say this, I'm gaining a lot of attention from teens but it's because of the fact that I talk to them like a human being. I'm not trying to coddle them. I'm not trying to, 
you know yeah yeah just i'm not trying to tell him hey the world's gonna get better i'm like nah man the world sucks sometimes but here's what you can do to possibly like like feel better about it and like be a better you and then that brought the attention of like other people too so luckily it's not all just teens but it started off being just teens and now i have a diverse <laughs> audience <laughs> oh that's great and uh where where can people uh bother you directly on the internet uh, well uh instagram and tiktok are the the two biggest ones and so they're pretty like i said pretty easy to find at sitting with you no g all one word no underscores or anything like that so at sitting with you on tiktok or instagram and chances are my phone's already in my hand so <laughs> a couple of seconds away um there's also a, a sitting with you website uh it's sitting with you.com uh it's got the beginnings of a store in there so if you want to get hoodies or shirts that have been influenced by things that I've either said or I'm trying to spread the message of, by all means, come check me out. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in Ted Ford. rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?